Well, God says that his people will grow and they will populate the earth. And he has all of this predicted in his prophecies. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. Thank you for joining us and being a part of this discovery in the Bible. Uh, and we're gonna talk about this, Isaiah 54, in about five minutes time, so stay there. Corey and Ryan are here, Corey. Well, Mom and I today, we are going to be talking about Isaiah chapter, chapter 54, and whose image are you being molded into? Ryan? All right, well, today I'm going to be actually looking at Isaiah 53, which is one of the most controversial passages in Judaism because of its very vivid description of the suffering servant. All right, all of that coming up in about 20 minutes' time. It's going to be a good discussion. I look forward to that right now. Take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage as we begin to study and listen to the Lord. Isaiah 54, 1-8 Sing, O barren, you who have not borne. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. Neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood any more. For your Maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused says your God. For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Isaiah chapter 54, verses 1 through 8. Isaiah chapter 54 and 55 and 56. This is absolutely stunning as we begin to explore what's happening in Isaiah. We're coming to the end of Isaiah, and this is fascinating. Isaiah 66 is the last chapter. But God's promises are unique. God's promises have spiritual power to back them up. Sometimes when I'm reading through the scripture, it seems like God interrupts my thoughts with his providence. And I really do marvel at the remarkable resolve in the Lord's actions. <laughs> his mercy and love are endless. And I truly wish that all people would get to experience them through the process of salvation through Jesus Christ. Reading through Isaiah 54, it strikes me that Israel was God's nation. 
He renamed Jacob to Israel. He began a work that would change the world forever. Many generations later, Jesus was a child of Israel, pointing his brothers and his sisters back to God by forging a new covenant, and in doing so, opened his father's house, or the father's house, to all of humanity. Still, it strikes me as fascinating that modern-day Israel has made a comeback. To me, this seems to be a clear sign that Jesus is coming back soon. He will rule. God's promises always do come to pass because they are backed with his ultimate authority and his ultimate power. Let me tell you something. God has backed everything that he's doing. And man runs around and makes his own decisions and does things his way. But let me tell you something. He can do his things the way he wants to all his life, but it's God who finishes everything being said. God is patient, let me tell you. And take your Bible guide, turn to it today, because Isaiah 54, is. A, we're going we're to talk about this perpetual covenant of peace. And we're going to talk about what this means to us today. If you don't know how to get it, write to us, and we'll send it to you, or call us, and we'll send it to you. Our good way to get it is go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And go to the page and click on the Bible guide takes you to a donate. Let me say thank you to all the partners. The partners are people who are viewers who've chosen to respond and give to us. Now, we don't talk about the amount because the Holy Spirit will tell you. But it's important that you do what God tells you to do. And that's how we live around here. So that's what we do. And uh, let me just say that we're going to talk about the people of God. The people of God. And you can download the Bible guide if you want to and pay for it online. Now, my question is, do we understand what God is saying? I know this is Isaiah, but do we understand the 54th chapter? What is God truly saying? Well, let's pray and find out. Father, I pray today as we open up the book of Isaiah chapter 54, that you would show us your way and teach us your path. Help us, Lord, to understand exactly what it is that you've said. And we thank you, Father, for showing us your way and teaching us your path. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we need that today's world, Lord. We need that now. And we all said together, amen. Let's go and look at chapter 54, because this is really important. Here's what it says. Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing. And cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left. And your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Wow, this is amazing. God tells us that his people will grow and they will populate the nations. It's pointless to kill Christians. God's kingdom will still come to earth. Never before in history has there ever been so many people killed simply because they believe in God. 
believe in Jesus Christ, give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, then today. Now, that's interesting. But never before has there ever been as many people, numbers of people, in the church who have followed Jesus Christ as there is today. We're seeing a revival. And you say, well, it doesn't feel like a revival over here. Well, that's, yeah, because you're not seeing the whole picture. You're not seeing the revivals take place in India. You're not seeing the revivals take place in Nigeria. You're not seeing the revivals take place in Iran. You're not seeing the revivals continue in China. Very interesting. Isaiah 54, verse 4. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame, for you will forget the shame of your youth, and you will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. Shame will, have, will no longer be cast on Christians for their love of Jesus. Persecution against Jesus Christ is pointless and has no power. You say, well, we have the power to kill the people. Yes, you do. But let me tell you something. The Spirit of God is present. The Spirit of God, I'm telling you what Jesus Christ said. All authority has been given to him on earth and in heaven. So the enemy can start and fill you with all kinds of lies. But the Holy Spirit of God is right there. And you can take him, come to Jesus Christ and take him today. He's as close as the mention of his name. Very interesting. Isaiah 54, verses 5 to 8. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. The Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused, says your God. For mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I, I will gather you. And with a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment. But the everlasting kindness, I will have mercy on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. Now, this is God's covenant. God has shown us everlasting kindness by sending His Son, Yeshua HaMashiach. That's Jesus Christ. God has already won the war. We are fighting smaller battles. Let me tell you something. We've won. Read the book of Revelation, which we're going to do in December. We've won. If we fight... Why are we fighting? We don't need to fight. We are at peace. We tell people what Jesus did. Now, they will fight us. But we tell people what Jesus did for us. He saved our lives. But we have to understand, Jesus Christ has won the battle. It is finished. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to.
All right, welcome back to the program. Now, I know that our assigned reading today is Isaiah chapters 54 to 56, but I want to go back to Isaiah 53, which we read over the weekend. And this chapter, along with the last part of chapter 52, is known famously as the Suffering Servant Passage. And it's called that because it so clearly portrays the suffering that the Messiah would go through. And when all the messianic prophecies in the Bible are all taken together, we're left with only one possible identity for this Savior, and that's Jesus of Nazareth. And Isaiah 53.5, Psalm 22.16, as well as Zechariah 12.10, all describe the Messiah being pierced, which, of course, he was through that horrible form of execution known as crucifixion. And Jesus' crucifixion is what I really want to talk about today. Because have you ever wondered why Jesus was made to die in this particular manner? Was it just because that this was the form of execution in Jesus' day? Or is there more to it? Isaiah 53, which is undoubtedly the most controversial passage in Judaism, contains some of the most stunning prophecies about the Messiah. For example, Regarding this Savior, Isaiah 53.5 declares, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. This, combined with all the other messianic prophecies, was only fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth, who was pierced through a horrible form of execution known as crucifixion. Amazingly, this Isaiah prophecy was recorded more than 700 years before Jesus was born, and has caused some to wonder why he was destined to be executed in this manner. Was it merely because this was the method of execution in Jesus' day? Rabbi Jason Sobel believes that something as important as the death of God's Son would not be based solely on Rome's proclivity for a brutal means of execution. So what then? Well, to answer this question, we need to understand that through his perfect sacrifice, Jesus was reversing the effects of the curse by taking our sin and the punishment for that sin upon himself. And part of that seems to have also been bearing the physical aspects of it, since virtually every element involved in Christ's crucifixion can be connected to the curse. For example, why did Jesus have to die on a cross, which is also called a tree in scripture? Could it be that since a tree caused the fall, the Son of God also had to die in a tree, as the second Adam, to reverse the curse caused by the sin of the first man and woman? If so, it also follows that because it was our hands that stole from the tree, Jesus' hands also had to be pierced. And his feet were pierced to fulfill the prophecy of Genesis 3.15, that the Savior's heel would be struck, but in turn the head of the serpent would be crushed. And Jesus' pierced side may have made atonement for the sin of Eve, the one taken from man's side, who led Adam into temptation. Also highly significant is the crown of thorns. By wearing thorns, Jesus was literally bearing the physical sign of the curse. But this isn't the first time he appeared with thorns. When the Lord first revealed himself to Moses in the desert of Midian, he came in a burning bush, or more specifically in Hebrew, a burning thorn bush. Clearly, God identifies with our pain and has a plan of deliverance. At that time, God sent Moses with staff in hand as that deliverer to perform miraculous signs. But God also promised that there would arise another deliverer even greater than Moses. 
the rod which the Roman soldiers mockingly placed in Jesus' hand during his scourging may then be a physical sign that identifies him as that greater deliverer, none other than the Savior of the world. So when Jesus reversed the curse by becoming sin for us and bearing our punishment on that cross, it seems that he was also bearing physical aspects of that curse. And just to recap, the cross or the tree seems to represent the tree in the Garden of Eden. And his hands may have been pierced because it was our hands who stole from the tree. His feet were pierced, of course, in fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. Because in order to crush the head of the serpent, which is to defeat Satan, his feet had to be bruised. And it could be that Jesus had his side pierced to make atonement for Eve's sin, since Eve was the one taken from Adam's side. Jesus also bore a crown of thorns, which was the physical sign of the curse. God told Adam in Genesis 3.17 that the ground had been cursed and would now bring forth thorns and thistles. And the, sta and the staff that the Romans mockingly put in Jesus' hand during his scourging may be a symbol connecting him to Moses. Like Moses, Jesus also was a deliverer who performed miraculous signs. The Bible prophesied that another prophet like Moses, but much greater, would arise. Jesus is that prophet. And more than that, he's the Savior and God himself. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's there's really no question about it. I mean, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, is is the one who uh, who, who is the, the reason I live. Mm. He's the reason I'm, I exist today. All and, of us. Uh, you know, this That's program... Right is about him and you can't address God without addressing the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we spend so much time talking about him because that's important. Very good, Ryan, thank you, mm -hmm. excellent. Corey. All right, well, Mom and I wanted to talk today, we wanted to open up a discussion today about Isaiah chapter 54 because we know that Isaiah has been prophesying the future destruction of Jerusalem or Zion by the Babylonian empire. But when we get to 54, he's talking about the future glory of Zion, how God is going to rebuild Jerusalem from nothing. But we get this really interesting few passages in the last two verses, in verses 16 and 17, and it says this, See, it is I who created the blacksmith, who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its work. And it is I who have created the destroyer to wreak havoc. No weapon forged against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Now, there's so many things interesting with that passage. The first thing that I kind of wanted to draw out is that I think the most obvious one, which is that it's so interesting how God is, God is speaking about here how it's he who created the blacksmith, right? So the very, the very order of creation, the, 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 the tools that God, the, the elements that God has given us and the way that he knew we were going to have to get these elements out of the earth for our survival and for everything is planned on purpose to point us back to God, right? This is what we call natural revelation or general revelation where all of these things can point us back to the greater truth, not only that God exists, but what he's like and what the deeper realities of our world are like, not just the physical world, but the spiritual world as well. So I, I think that's so interesting. I, and, and I love that here. I love that God is using physical things. But also when I was talking to you about this, Mom, we got, 
we we got kind of hung up on this because it's really it's really interesting to us this idea that God created the blacksmith who fans the coals into a flame and forges a weapon fit for its work and and we all know that this was brutal you heat it, you heat up metal really 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 hot with fire until it's going hot and then you beat it <laughs> you beat it really hard into whatever shape whatever you shape want it. if you're you creating want. a hook you're going to beat that into a hook if yes. you want it to be into a, a an arrow you're going to beat the end into an arrow right yeah. and so we got talking about that and being molded mm-hmm. and that we thought it was very interesting how that the scripture points here that the blacksmith is like the destroyer mm-hmm. in this instance. Who wreaks havoc. Who wreaks havoc. And who does that remind us of? It reminds us of Satan. It reminds yes. us of the enemy who takes God's creation. Each one of us who are, who are created in the image of God. And it is Satan's desire to take what God has made and desecrate it. He wants to change it into what he wants to make, mm-hmm. this destroyer. And so we, we looked at it from that perspective that the black myth, blacksmith puts intense heat and then beats it into what he wants it to form. Is that not interesting? It's very right? interesting. And, and, and then we see, we see with, with Judah and Jerusalem that God wasn't saying, God wasn't saying, well, the destroyer has accomplished his purpose. This is just how you are now. This is what you've mm-hmm. been beat into. He's like, no, it has, it, you will not stay this way because no weapon forged against you will no. prevail. That's this right. is, remember the context of this chapter is a promise that God is going to rebuild. That's right. Jerusalem. And it, and it, it reminded me of Romans chapter six. Yes. Okay. Because in Romans chapter six, uh, I have an NIV in front of me, uh, where, okay, here we go. Um, I'm going to start in 6 verse 11. I'm going to read 11, 12, and 13. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Now, in other translations, this is a weapon of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument or weapon of righteousness. So who are we letting mold us and shape us? Because we're not just unthinking metal. We are not just an element of the earth. We have the breath of God in us. Yes, we're made of dust, but we have the breath of God. He's exactly. given us life. He's yes. put eternity in the heart of man, right? We have a will. So when we get hit with the blacksmith's hammer or with the destroyer's hammer, we have a choice of what way we are going to bend. Are we going to become a weapon or an instrument for wickedness or for righteousness? Isn't it interesting? And in this one here, when you're talking about an instrument, it says here, behold, I have created the blacksmith, okay, who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument Mm -hmm. for his work. Mm -hmm. Whose work are we? And that's the point that you're trying to make as well. Yeah. God is the creator of the black... God is the creator of everyone, Mm -hmm. the blacksmith. So why would we take something that the blacksmith creates or Mm -hmm. or tries to create and worship that, Mm -hmm. bring attention to that? Don't we want to 
to be formed into the people, the image of, and live according to that image that we have been created for in the first place. Yes, and oftentimes we think that I, I think there's this false idea that once we come to God, that that we won't face any blows,、mm. that God's just going to protect us from everything. But we're tr- we're being remade. To be in the image of God, to be in the image of Christ, and Christ never suffered any blows, did he? No, of course、huh. he did. Of course, <laughs> he, did. of course he did. I'm being sarcastic.、Right. Of course, Jesus suffered blows, right? Because God, God can use these things, these trials, and these and these difficulties to to. Make us more like Him to get rid of the impurities that are in us and、yes. to and to sanctify us and to be more like Him. And it's difficult, but He's with us. It's that refiner's fire that、mm-hmm. God talks about. It's not to consume us, as Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed.、Mm-hmm. When Satan controls us, we are consumed. At、mm-hmm. the end of the day, he eats us up. Though the or through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is Your faithfulness, God. And He goes on to say, "The Lord is my portion," says my soul. Therefore, I hope in Him. See, and I and Jeremiah stands on the prophecies of Isaiah. He he knew this, and what was his message? Allow yourself to be beaten by Babylon because there is a purpose and there is a hope. On the other side,、mm-hmm. sometimes we have to allow the blow to come so that we can be reshaped. So, and God will form us; He will make us. That was the promise. That's the hope. And further, He says, "The Lord is good to those who wait for Him,、mm-hmm. to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that we should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord." Difficult course, to do, but always good. Yes,、mm-hmm. difficult、Jeremiah、to do. Also says that God、it. is the Potter. Yes. So now, instead of beating the metal that's heated, the hands are shaping and building us that way. And we're getting ready in the next day or so to talk exactly about that. It's very good.、Mm-hmm. Today we want to focus our attention on the nation of the Philippine Islands, and this is a great place. I've been there, Father. We pray for the Philippine Islands that you would touch them, and help them in that beautiful place, and guide them today, Lord. There's a lot of turmoil, but give them strength and help them, Lord. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray for people everywhere in this world that somehow they may see you, and that you would reveal yourself to them in Jesus' name. Amen.